Good Golly, I'm Polly Am is a podcast intended for mature audiences. Each episode may contain strong language and slash or sexual references. They just have to pass a course. Let's let's <laughs> let's get them to take a course before they're like, I'm polyamorous, just to see how what they feel about harmful harmful relationship practices. I might be like dating a, a few people who are fucking assholes, you know. I have a type. I'm not going to be ashamed <laughs> about it. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back to Good Golly, I'm Polly Ann. With me, your host, Trisha. First things first, you may have noticed I have a new jingle intro theme song whatever you call that music at the beginning of a podcast i have a new one it's super cute i love it and my friend joey fun with music wrote it for me he's a very fantastic artist who does a lot of music playing and music writing mostly based in synthesizers um but is also very skilled in other kinds of instruments so if you have any music needs please look him up like i said his name is joey fun with music you can find him on most socials especially instagram and youtube but that is not the only change for this episode dear listeners oh no today i am experimenting with something new so last episode if you've listened to it already i had both of my partners here it was actually for full disclosure recorded all the way back in march just as lockdown was coming in when ben thought he was showing symptoms of the virus and instead of self-isolating in his big house in Brighton considering he had just been at my flat a couple of days before he in fact the day before he started showing symptoms I went to go pick him up in my car and he self-isolated at mine um, throughout the rest of the self-isolation period. He did not have any symptoms. It was all cool. He was just a bit warm and he got over it. (laughs) But yes, so we have been observing lockdown advice. Um, Like I said, I went to pick him up in my car and the only reason I did so was because he had literally just been at mine so if he did have symptoms of the virus I would have already been exposed and so would Matt have been as well so instead of also like exposing his flatmates to it especially because one of them is quite severely asthmatic I'm mildly asthmatic but nowhere near as bad as she is I thought it would be a safer decision for him to come up to ours okay that's my full honesty disclosure but the point of all of that was for me to say that for this episode we're having another guest but because lockdown is still on and it's not really safe enough to be fraternizing with all kinds of people all over the city we are doing a remote guest spot so i will be recording from my house our lovely guest will be recording from their house and i'm going to edit it together in the hopes that it sounds like we're in the same room having a lovely cohesive conversation for you. 
Whether it's gonna work, we'll see by the end of this episode, but that's what's in store. And in case you didn't already know what we're talking about, today we're talking about kitchen table polyamory, which is my favorite way to do polyamory. If you haven't listened to my episode defining styles of polyamory, I would advise you do that, but I'll give you a very, very quick rundown about kitchen table polyamory, which is basically when all the members of one specific relationship set out are happy to hang out together as if they were around a kitchen table, like for dinner or for board games or whatever. It's a form of polyamory that means that your partners are generally comfortable enough with each other to hang out with each other and probably do hang out with each other on multiple occasions. It's my favorite because I'm very open with everyone that I date and it makes me really warm when they get on with each other. However, one thing that I have been asked by people is how do you do kitchen table polyamory if at least one of your partners doesn't like it? And my answer to that is you don't really. You can't push kitchen table polyamory onto people. The only thing that really makes kitchen table polyamory work is the fact that everyone who is involved in it wants to be in that kind of situation. So I don't think you can, and I definitely don't think that you should be in any sort of kitchen table polyamory dynamic with someone who doesn't wanna be in that dynamic. It's gonna make things very uncomfortable for them, very uncomfortable for you, very uncomfortable for all your other partners, and is really not an ethical or fair thing to do to that partner who doesn't want to be in that situation. It's it's a lot, especially if you don't want to be there. Um, a lot of the time, people who might not be super comfortable with kitchen table polyamory dynamics are people who have had issues with their metas in the past, um, people who are potentially new to polyamory, people who know that they have issues with jealousy and envy and so avoid being in those kinds of situations there's a whole host of reasons that anyone might not want to be in a kitchen table polyamory dynamic um and i don't think any of those reasons are bad so yeah that was a bit of a ramble (laughs) but essentially that's what kitchen table is So enough of me talking, we are now being joined by my fabulous guest, Hunter Malik, who is the co-founder of the London by Pandas and has been actively polyamorous for many a year. I'm going to get Hunter to describe their own uh, relationship with polyamory now. So Hunter, thank you so much for joining me on Good Golly and Polyam. I'm really happy to have you here. please tell us a bit about yourself and your journey with polyamory. Um, yeah, so my name is Hunter Malik and I think I've been, I was, I was sort of describing it as being like actively polyamorous for maybe the last eight years, but I've always known I was polyamorous. I grew up in a Muslim household where like having multiple wives, for example, if you're a man, was really, really normalized. So I had this like version of polyamory that I was growing up with in Pakistan for a really long time. And I guess when I had that kind of feminist renaissance within my own soul when I moved to this country, I realized that actually like, oh, maybe at that time when I identified as a woman, like, why can't I have four husbands? (laughs) 
So that's how I kind of like transitioned into becoming more actively polyamorous. But I had always been in relationships with people who were monogamous and was really bad at monogamy, as many polyamorous people are. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. (laughs) I think the main kind of twig for me was realizing that I didn't feel any guilt about cheating. I I felt bad that somebody was feeling hurt by my actions, but I didn't feel guilty about the act itself. And then I sort of started really exploring the idea of polyamory. Um, but after I got married, uh, my partner and I, my then partner and I um, opened up our marriage when I moved away to New York for a full month. And I was like, well, this is a time to just really explore what's out there. Because um, before that, I'd grown up in a really kind of Muslim monogamous style environment where like a lot of things about relationships and sex were really shamed. And so I basically went on, can I say fuck? I went on a fuck yeah, tour. absolutely. <laughs> I went on a fuck tour of New York for 30 days. I had 30 <laughs> dates in 30 days. I was really getting my like poly, it's like the longest streak I've ever had. That is literally the basis for like a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> I got or invited a to a really um, raunchy fuck movie. So, take your pick. Um, yeah, I engaged in all sorts of illicit things that I never thought were possible. I got invited to a Thanksgiving orgy. I went and had turkey and had an orgy. It was my first Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving, surely everyone's really full. Yeah, I mean, it started off as like a group nap, but it transpired very quickly into something very much not a nap. That makes sense. I get it. But I, I, I definitely think it was pre-planned because I was sort of primed <laughs> by the person who invited me. Amazing. <laughs> um, so just for everyone out there, Hunter and I have been connected via internet spheres for over a year now and i knew some things about hunter's history but like i'm learning a lot of this stuff at the same time as you and (laughs) this is so cool (laughs) all right so kitchen table polyamory you have thoughts and issues please tell me the thoughts and issues (laughs) um I am such a Virgo moon that I woke up at 8am this morning to bullet point my thoughts and issues about kitchen table polyamory. So <laughs> to be fair, this is like very sleepy thoughts, <laughs> but they're definitely there. Sleepy and I think the, I think the first one for me is that like kitchen table polyamory uh, uses compersion as a standard. Like if you struggle to feel compersion, you'll really struggle to be part of a kitchen table polyamory dynamic. And I think as somebody who does not feel compersion, because I have too many other things to care about. <laughs> um, basically, like my priority That's is fair. my... like after having like quite a lot of really problematic polyamorous relationship, I now practice solo polyamory. So my compersion is always inward. So what makes me happy and prioritizing myself? Um, Because I'd been sort of shamed for being jealous or being insecure and kind of been told that it was my fault. And it took a really long time to unpack that. And I think that's one of the big flags that I have with kitchen table polyamory is that it really relies on that concept. Um, And compersion itself is this like really un 
reasonable expectation and aspiration for polyamory anyway. It shames what are really valid feelings of insecurity and jealousy and makes them bad in some way. And if you're, you know, there's a lot of kind of fear around not being compulsive enough as well. So, you know, am I feeling the right levels of compassion? And what does that even mean? You know, what is that kind of true joy that you're feeling for somebody else? It differs from people to people, but it's just this like, again it feels like a really like unrealistic idealized disney version of what something should be and if you don't reach that you tend to feel bad about yourself and many people end up engaging in really toxic dynamics because they're forcing themselves to feel something that they've been told that they should feel and then there is the problem of like suddenly not being polyamorous enough if you're not feeling compersion are you poly enough and that's one of the things that i would get from previous partners who were terrible <laughs> yeah, yeah i think compersion is such a tricky area of polyamory because i think like you said a lot of people assume that to be polyamorous you have to feel compersion and i'm a really compersiony person anyway but i've always said that you don't have to feel compersion to be polyamorous it's really weird like requirement that people like to push on people like oh if you're not happy hearing about all my dates and meeting all my partners then you're not polyamorous enough and it's like but wait what i don't i don't understand why are you trying to force someone to feel some way about something that has nothing to do with them if you're happy that's great you can't make them be happy about it too that's that's not cool (laughs) yeah i actually have a whole episode coming up soon not sure when maybe in a couple of weeks about sort of the bad feelings that come with polyamory and people are like you can't feel jealous you can't feel envious and you can't feel lonely and it's like this is this is none of that is correct let's let's yeah. break that down so i might get you back on for, yeah. <laughs> for those episodes and yeah i completely get that i completely get that i had I've a conversation the table polyamory you go ahead Um, I was saying I had a conversation yesterday about the word jealousy in that I don't believe it exists. I don't think it's a a thing that exists. I think it's just a stigmatized version of saying insecurity and it makes it the problem of somebody else. So you kind of go, I don't want to deal with your insecurity, so I'm going to label it as jealousy. So it's no longer my problem. And so I fundamentally don't believe that something like jealousy exists because there's always a root cause of that feeling that is steeped in a dynamic that involves multiple people potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I I completely, I completely agree with that. I think kitchen table is really tricky because it does sort of hinge on you feeling compulsive to some extent or compulsive enough to be comfortable in that dynamic and that's a very big ask of people so you can't I've always I've heard a lot of questions like if you like kitchen table and one of your partners does it how do you do it and I was like well you don't <laughs> you don't do it because there's there's no way that that person is going to be comfortable you can't force them to interact with your partners and feel like maybe they'll just get used to it because the likelihood is you're just going to really damage them emotionally in a lot of ways as well as just making it a super uncomfortable experience for everyone involved yeah and also the power dynamics of that as well when somebody is trying out a relationship style that isn't for them 
just because they love somebody else so much that they're willing to put themselves in actually what is like relationship harm's way and sacrifice something um, and allows that person to continually have their boundaries just sort of trodden all over repeatedly because that's a precedent that's now been set that that's okay because that person has allowed something to happen that it's okay to treat them in that way um and i think this is where it becomes really tricky as well in kitchen table poly when there are so many different people with different um ideas of what their boundaries are and different power dynamics within those relationships all coming together as a big group and that like scares the shit out of me because i'm like <laughs> that is I, I i can't think of a single kitchen table polyamory polycule that has survived and thrived and hasn't been damaged from it and one of the things that I really like to say about relationships is that everything like kink polyamory relationships whatever monogamy all exists in the context of what society is we can't have these isolated islands of what our relationship dynamics look like without the context of the world so if the world is sort of telling us about like toxic monogamy that's going to find its way into our kitchen table polyamory anyway because we can't exist without that concept context Um, And so that's why it really worries me when people, for example, aren't very educated in terms of their own boundaries and aren't very empowered in terms of their own boundary, trying to enter into a a KTP dynamic. It's terrifying. It is. It is. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of polyamory is seen as like entry level. Um, So it's like, oh yeah, KTP is like the entry level kind of polyamory. Like we'll all hang out and it's like, hold up. Please, please. <laughs> like I, I personally have done so much work into myself and my boundaries, and I'm continuing to do that while being in what is kind of a KTP dynamic. In that, a few of you know the partners in the polycule um, hang out, but it's never like. I have never been in the situation where like a whole polycule will descend (laughs) and I can see why that would be terrifying because there's so there's so uh, once you start bringing more people into it like there's so many more things to think about and there's no guarantee that all of the things have been thought about until the things start going wrong and then it's like oh my god so yeah I, I get that I get that. Yeah. And I think it's also um, about, as an individual, what your energy limits are in terms of who you're willing to prioritize and who you're willing to spend energy on. And I think, like, most poly people, you know, spend their energy on their relationships rather than their metamors, because that's, I think, the core of what their aspirations are, right? And suddenly when you're asked to consider metamors and their needs and their priorities in terms of a polycule, just as, like, equal to everybody else that you you would normally prioritize suddenly you're being forced i think i mean and i I think forced is a bit of a heavy word there but as a solely polyamorist i'm being forced definitely (laughs) to prioritize the needs of somebody else who isn't isn't part of my priority network isn't part of the hierarchy that i have and i know hierarchy is a really bad word in polyamory but it definitely exists whether contextually or whether like emotionally or whatever it is or whether practically um like i want to prioritize the the people that i'm romantically involved with and my friends i just don't have the capacity in me as one individual already 
working so hard on all of these multiple relationships and my own self Mm -hmm. to then have this extra bunch of people who I've never even thought (laughs) of being friends with suddenly having a say and in how I use my time for example so there is a kind of lack of independence there because there's all of these let's say I don't know let's five new people that I'd never considered before in my life suddenly telling me how I will be spending my time and who I will be spending it with and what that time will consist of and I think there is um, a real kind of limitation there around what I what I as an individual can do and I think uh, as somebody who came to solo polyamory because of the real limitations that existed in in the kind of like slightly toxically monogamous polyamorous relationships that are out there um like that's a big trigger for me in terms of what limits my independence um and who I'm sort of forced to kind of take priority of or forced to consider um and it's just it's a lot of work (laughs) fundamentally yeah yeah I can see that. I think logistically I've been really fortunate because currently my polycule is still quite small. So when we talk about sort of the KTP dynamic of our polycule, it doesn't really involve that many people, Um, which I think just makes it fundamentally easier because in addition to that, I'm also quite friendly and or close to my metas. So I consider them friends in their own rights anyway. So the the sort of prioritization and compromises that I have to make are very similar to the ones that I would be making anyway. So I think I think I've been really lucky because it's kind of close to how I would run my own life anyway. Um, and then I just have the sort of the added benefit of everyone just really being very emotionally close with each other, which is very nice to me, I think, as as well. Like, because also culturally, I, um, I'm Nigerian, which I mentioned in my first episode, but just a callback in case you haven't heard that. Um, I, we're, we're brought up in all these really close-knit family dynamics, like with people who you don't even know, and they're your aunties, which, like, I'm sure you understand. Like, next door neighbor, three three doors away, that's auntie. They're your aunties, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so, like, I think it's it's kind of like, for me, sort of like a natural progression to be able to actually choose my family dynamics, rather than just being like, anyone who's Nigerian is your auntie, or your uncle, or your cousin, and it's like, but they're not! So, there's there's something really freeing about being like, well, you are now in what I consider to be my family arrangement, and I chose that, um, and... I think also it's really important to, for me to remember that in a KTP dynamic, anyone is able to be like, cool, I don't want this anymore. And that just kind of has to be respected. Like, if it does get to a point where it's too much and it's like, no, there's too many people, I can't, I can't prioritise everyone's needs right now, I just need to withdraw myself from that dynamic, is something that needs to be one encouraged as an option and to respect it if it is taken yeah absolutely I think my main kind of fear around 
what these dynamics are is and how they're used is the motivation for why they're set up in the first place right so what are people seeking so for example like you're kind of seeking a family dynamic that feels familiar but you get to choose so there's a lot of like um i think kind of empowerment there um my main experience with KCP has been a cis man who wanted a harem mm. mm-hmm. yep. and there's a lot of like kind of problematic behavior from <laughs> cis polyamorous men in particular who are just using yes. things like KTP things like compassion and things that are really kind of fundamental wonderful elements of polyamory and twisting them to serve really kind of horrendously patriarchal needs like this Absolutely. harem of course like all of these like amazing wonderful women and afab non-binary people went into this dynamic fully consenting as adults but we're 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 too afraid i think to question why we decided that that was an okay dynamic for us to enter into where this one man was prioritized because he was yeah. continually using the language of you're not polyamorous enough you're not comp- you're compulsive enough you're you know this this is the kind of ideal and if you're not achieving it he was a very great like manipulator <laughs> there's no doubt about that but um sounds very I, good at manipulation oh yeah <laughs> um <laughs> i think i've learned a lot and i know exactly what i do not want ever again um and i really wish that like lots of like new people to polyamory don't have to go through the trauma of having your first polyamorous yeah. relationship i wish that people could go and experience wonderful polyamorous um dynamics without having to be confronted with the cis man who wants a harem and shames you for not wanting it um and i think there's a lot of that out there in the in and yeah especially in the media as well because lots of like kind of tv shows and media yes. show either a version of of this harem or a diluted version of it that kind of makes it palatable in some way to our yep. kind of like slightly whatever more progressive values might be um mm-hmm. But that's such a core part of like why kitchen table polyamory has become so popular because it's been driven in this like slightly yeah. patriarchal way. And I think subverting it um, and making slightly more empowered choices is such a huge challenge. Like I said, like mm. you, you're trying to have these relationships that exist in the context of everything in society. Um, and that makes it really challenging to kind of go and, you know, have have that like wonderful family dynamic because I would love to have that. But one of my big fears is that I will find myself back again in this dynamic that is problematic, that yeah. is toxic, that is led by somebody whose interest is their own uh, and not interested in the, in the needs and priorities of anybody else. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like that kind of cover that cis men use to uh, for kitchen table poly uh, for their harem is just one something that just like completely jars with me and whenever i think of kitchen table poly that's my immediate example as well so that's kind of the one that i immediately go to and i'm like nope that's not for me i'm going to maintain my very solo poly amory parallel poly like very separate <laughs> lifestyles <laughs> yeah it's it's really it's really sad how much trauma is experienced by people who 
especially like especially women or anyone who's afab like the experiences that are so common in your first few like your first foray into polyamory tend to be so heavily toxic um in the worst case and at the best case like quite imbalanced in terms of like power dynamics and it really sets up um just a really difficult way to engage with the polyamorous community especially because a lot of them haven't realized the toxicity in some of the things that are just seen as like normal in the polyamory community and i've had so many people who are women or people who are non-binary or people who are like in some way marginalized in society approach me and be like oh I thought about polyamory for a while but then this horrible toxic thing happened and it just kept happening and so I thought I guess that's what it is and it's so so sad because polyamory when done healthily is such a great supportive way of like conducting your relationships but it's been diluted and muddied by the normalization of really harmful practices to the extent that they're normalized and that's really it's really harmful and dangerous and painful yeah and i, I think... kind of don't know how to fix it <laughs> <laughs> on a on a massive scale apart from like um you know. i think cis straight men should be banned from polyamory that's the only way <laughs> <laughs> They should have to pass a course. Let's 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 get them to take a course before they're like, I'm polyamorous, just to see how what they feel about harmful harmful relationship practices. So my um attitude to dating cis men in particular, like cis straight white men, is that um they must be in therapy, number one. Mm. And they must have at least two queer references. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, I might start putting that into my own requirements. It's such a huge, I think, like, difference of, like, dating, like, a, a man who has been in therapy and is actively working yeah. to dismantle his own bullshit versus a yeah. man who isn't. Yeah, I think so. Especially, like, it's, it's obvious, but it's worth saying that cis straight white men get away with whatever they want to because society tells them that they're allowed to do whatever they want and everyone has to um, just basically deal with it and adjust to their desires. So having a requirement that, you know, someone is actively working on themselves is pretty much just a form of self-care. That is a great personal boundary. Yeah. I'm probably gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> away, my little relationship backpack. <laughs> And I think boundaries are such like a, a good, I think, requirement for Kitchen Table Poly. You need to be so invested in your own boundaries. You need to be empowered yeah. enough to vocalise them and be able to vocalise them in a way that everybody else can understand. And you need to be able to like work on the insecurities that you have, the um, the things that you feel like are holding you back and be comfortable speaking to everybody in the room about them as well. Because those are some really yeah. vulnerable personal things that you have to... Um, address with a whole bunch of people some of whom you might be romantically involved with and some of whom you might not be and suddenly like yeah. all of your sort of dirty laundry as it were is in on that kitchen table for everybody to yeah. like sift through and <laughs> that I think is also something that really terrifies me because how do you 
how do you have those conversations? Like I haven't had a positive kitchen table polyamory experience um, or be able to like have those conversations with that many people, even if it's three or four um, about all of our own boundaries together. Like it's challenging enough in a, in a one-to-one polyamorous dynamic to kind of go, Oh, here are my boundaries. Please respect them. Um, And even more challenging to understand what they are for you. So suddenly doing that in a, in a huge group context where, you're not just talking about your boundaries, you're talking about the boundaries of every other person there and coming to this middle ground that supports and benefits um, everybody in that room um, is, uh, is such, a, such a dream. And I think it'd be wonderful to achieve it, but I just can't see any practical way that that can be achieved at the sort of, the sort of scale that it could get to. And I think yeah. that's also like um, another point that I had was around... Um, the the act of introducing a new person to a kitchen table polycule and the difficulties yeah. and challenges of that like when is somebody important enough to introduce to that dynamic and how do you decide that is such a, a personal question as well because somebody might decide that dating somebody for like three months means that they definitely get to be in the polycule now because they're in love, you know, and that's, you know, <laughs> lots of new relationship energy and they're sort of really thriving yeah. on that. Whereas some people are like really cautious and two years later, they still haven't introduced somebody that they're dating. Um, or, yeah. you know, who do you decide is safe enough also to introduce to that? Because I might be like dating a, a few people who are fucking assholes, you know, I have a type. I'm not going to be ashamed <laughs> about it. <laughs> But I wouldn't like it's like taking somebody home to meet your parents. Like I wouldn't take everybody I date to go home and meet my parents and suddenly be part of this like (laughs) family. And then I think like the relationship anarchist inside me gets really mad about that in that like, oh, all relationships Mm. are equal. So everybody should be allowed to be in the polycule. But like practical like Hunter is like, no, that's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think. I think the way that I approach kitchen table polyamory is slightly different to general because like the, the longer that we've been talking about this, um, the more that like it's really clicked in my mind that even though I'm in a KTP dynamic, like I, I always kind of see it as multiple KTP dynamics. Like there is never any um, assumption in my head that everyone who is involved in a specific polycule needs to be in one room at the same time. But when I say KTP, I think I mean it in a way that people within the polycule are comfortable enough with each other to hang out on like um, any sort of like group basis. Doesn't necessarily have to be everyone, but like three people can have like a movie night and then five people can have a game night. And then I might have dinner with one of my messes just like on my own because we're friends and stuff. Um, and I guess that's that. I think that is a privilege that not every KTP dynamic gets. I think there there is a lot of expectation that if you're in a KTP dynamic, like you said, everyone who's in the polycule has to be involved and it just kind of grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Whereas I think it's really helpful to have different little pockets because people get on in different ways. There's no way that you could be like, well, person A really likes person C, so person E needs to like person A just as much so that all three of them can be together. It's like, 
I mean, maybe person E has a better relationship with person L and they can just hang out. Like, you don't have to put everyone together in the same room all the time. Yeah, and I think um, uh, that's definitely, like, uh, a, a way of doing kitchen table poly. And I think that's, like, more healthy because you're allowing people to kind of decide who they want to spend time with. But there's also the, that approach of, like, the closed polycule, right? Where people are like, this is the polycule. We Every week we all get together for Sunday dinner and we spend time together as a polycule. Um, and we, like, uh, have time together where we build our intimacy and our relationship as a group. Um, and sometimes I think one of the things that I find really worrying about a closed polycule as well is that it tends to exist in isolation um, which means that it can be really socially isolating as a result Mm -hmm. um, because people who are within that polycule you're very unlikely to introduce new people to the polycule and you're very unlikely to kind of like stray too far away from it because that's your entire social circle so you're less engaged in community potentially less engaged in your neighborhood less engaged in other like elements of your social life because that's the predominant source of your socialization um and again that that really worries me because to me that that feels like a very sort of traditional uh, and it's definitely not like an abuse tactic but it's a very traditional abuse tactic to socially isolate people yeah um and so like and so having a group that only relies on itself for socialization refuses to necessarily like be that comfortable with introducing new people into that group dynamic or um has created all of these barriers for individuals within that group to like leave like leave and explore what what else is kind of out there um i think can be really 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 toxic I, i have a huge problem with like closed polycule and any kind of closed polyamorous relationship because they're really limiting to people's independence and freedom and i can understand why people engage in them and sometimes you need to close off your relationship so you can work on them or whatever it is um and that's perfectly valid choices but it's all about understanding the motivations for why people do ktp the motivations for why people close uh, a polycule the motivations for why people need that regular sunday everybody together everybody talking about their boundaries everybody doing the thing and i think you know also thinking about what the context of why this is happening what are people's backgrounds what are people's ability to have their um be empowered to sort of demonstrate their boundaries and and say them out loud um so for example if you have like um if you were if you were bullied as a kid and you didn't have many friends growing up you know the idea of this like polycule family is so idealistically wonderful and you want it so badly because you were always that like weird kid that nobody liked and now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to have this world where everybody loves you and everybody loves each other and you all get together and have this wonderful meal every week and you all spend time and you have game nights and suddenly your social life feels full and your heart feels full and I can see why it has such an appeal for so many of us who probably have experienced a lot of isolation growing up that this idea of like having a family that we've chosen that has the same values that we do that has the same aspirations that we do and that is welcoming and loving yeah of course I can totally see that but I'm also like ha okay let's let's all go to therapy let's dismantle that yeah absolutely especially because if you are that person the the likelihood that you're going to sacrifice bits of yourself to maintain this relationship is very high because you're like I don't want to lose this this is the first time I've had this so I guess this personal boundary that I had maybe that's a bit silly we'll forget about that and then all of a sudden all your personal boundaries are just being eroded away for 
the sake of keeping this specific relationship configuration and it's really yeah it's 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 really dangerous in a way you know if people aren't actively working on themselves and like actively and encouraged to be able to assess their boundaries and develop their boundaries and change their boundaries because that's a thing as well i don't think people realize that a lot of the time boundaries are allowed to change just because mm-hmm. something was okay before doesn't mean it's going to be okay forever and if something then stops being okay you need to be able to be comfortable enough to be like hold on this isn't okay anymore and you also need to be secure enough to know that if you say that it's going to be respected yeah yeah exactly and i think um there is a there's a whole bunch around um you know even if you're not very good at your boundaries, you're still allowed to engage into a KTP dynamic. What's really important is that you and everybody else in that dynamic is trying to empower everybody else as as a basic responsibility to be able to set their boundaries and to be able to change them and reassess them and evolve them and grow them. And that should be a fundamental part of KTP. You're not just responsible for your own boundaries because we know the context of everything that society is. We should also be responsible for everybody else's boundaries in that dynamic because I, I don't feel that comfortable saying, you know, if you don't, if you're not good at your boundaries, you shouldn't engage in specific dynamics because that's Mm. again, like really limiting and potentially really patronizing to people. But especially because a lot of people aren't great at boundaries. So it's not something that we're taught (laughs) as, as children to be like, you need, like, you're okay to make these decisions. So a lot of the time I find that you get better at boundaries while you're polyamorous because you're being encouraged to explore what those boundaries are. So yeah, I agree. Exactly. There's, I don't think you exactly. need to be a specific goodness out of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This desire for the entire group to benefit the entire group, I think it can be really easy to come to mm. a kitchen table polyamory and kind of go, these are my boundaries and everybody else needs to respect them. But there is a huge amount of compromise that will be have to be done because you're balancing everybody's boundaries together. And you need to yeah. be looking out for the the benefit and the support and health of everybody else in that group, just as your own. So it's not just, yeah. you know, you have to be really careful about what your own health and boundaries are, relationship health and boundaries are when you go into that dynamic. You should be encouraging everybody else to also do the same and be looking out for those yeah. kind of very traditional flags of when people are having their boundaries violated. Um, yeah. You know, if you're noticing somebody in a group that's like particularly quiet and isn't really engaging, but they were engaging maybe six months ago, something's not right. And like, it's important yeah. to kind of look out for look out for each other because, you know, I wish that the polyamorous community was more, um, I can't think of that word in English at the moment, but was just a little bit more caring about each other in the way of like, how do we help each other grow and evolve as individuals? There's a lot of like, you know, that kind of missed step example, um, where there, if you're at a party and one of the steps on the stairs is broken, but everybody who's been to that party before just kind of steps over it and moves on. And as a new person comes, they don't realize it, but they sort of fall down, like have their foot stuck in it or whatever, because nobody's told them about the misstep. Or people might kind of point to it, but nobody's fixing the misstep. And I think that's such a huge problem in the polyamorous community where, you know, we do have a lot of like fairly like, um, you know, traumatized people because that's the entryway (laughs) to polyamory uh, who are now working really hard on themselves. And then there isn't really like kind of this community wide 
education, uh, like empowerment drive that everybody believes in. Like there are small groups and small sections of the community that are very focused on like, hey, like we should definitely like try and do better as individuals. We should work on self-care. We should work on our boundaries. We should work on consent. We should work on like understanding and, and evolving different relationship styles versus the other part of the polyamory community, which is very much like, I want my harem or... I want to go to a sex party and I don't care. Or, you know, I have four boyfriends and life is fine and I'm not really going to think about it too hard because their feelings don't matter. You know, like there's, there's still like a lot of that kind of happening and like that whole thing around couples privilege and everything else that kind of lives in that part of like polyamory where I'm just like, I'm never going back there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and I think there, we don't take responsibility enough either as polyamorous individuals for the harm that we've caused. You know, I definitely entered into polyamory with a couple's privilege relationship because I didn't really understand anything else. You know, we had our like veto rule. We had all of the fucking big fucking flags. All the stuff that happens. <laughs> yeah. And obviously like that relationship exploded and blew up in my face as it was supposed to. <laughs> um... But, you know, I I wish, and I still don't really do it, to be able to take accountability for my role in that and empower other people to take accountability for their toxic actions as well. Because the more we normalise having these discussions, the more likely it is that something like Kitchen Table Polly can really thrive as people understand all of the all of the things that are happening. Because it's really easy to shame people's toxicity as well in polyamory. But a lot of us sort of enter not really knowing what we're doing and we're having these traumatized experiences yeah. and we're traumatizing other people because we have no... Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Yeah, we have no idea. Nobody's... No... Everybody's flailing around in like the entry level doorway to polyamory, <laughs> punching each other in the face. And, like... Just arms going all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh. I'm really aware that I'm taking up most of your morning now. <laughs> so... I will let you go very soon. Is there any anything else on your list of points that we haven't already discussed? That... Um, let me have a look. I think I've like suited in everything that I was saying. But yeah, I think the last thing, um, or like just a repetition of the thing that I was saying, that it's really important to understand why we want it, and just yeah, assess and dismantle where that's coming from because can it be addressed by something else like if it's um, if all that we're really seeking is to have more friends is kitchen table polyamory the best way to do that really exactly (laughs) yeah it's kind of like risk assessing your life you know (laughs) for any of my theater or events minded people out there it's like taking a risk assessment and going through your life being like what's the level of risk can it be mitigated does it need to be this specific thing yeah (laughs) um thank you so much hunter for coming on as i expected you have great points because Hunter has great points about everything you can um, please join the London by Pandas if you want to hear more of Hunter's <laughs> thoughts and musings and thoughts of me- thoughts and musings of other people who are also great the London by Pandas is a great group Hunter hasn't even asked me to plug it I'm just because I'm in it so join it it's great they do lots of good stuff um, but thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being so open and honest about your experiences and your thoughts. I think 
everything that you've brought up is really good food for thought, especially for people who are considering being in a KTP dynamic or are in a KTP dynamic and it just doesn't seem to be working or it's not quite what you wanted it to be. I think the main thing that I think both Hunter and I have touched upon is that you have the freedom to choose your dynamics. And if something isn't working for you, you should feel empowered and comfortable enough to change how that is working. And if you don't feel that sense of empowerment and that sense of comfort and that sense of being accepted for how that changes, then that is probably a sign of something not helpful for you or your soul or your emotions and if you can i would highly recommend getting out of that dynamic basically please be in a ktp dynamic if you want to be in one and everyone in that dynamic is committed to making it work and being open with each other and there's that ingrained sense of social responsibility to each other but just do know that ktp isn't it's not entry-level polyamory if 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 you've watched those movies or those TV shows where everyone's in a KTP dynamic and you're like, wow, that looks so easy. It's not. They're lying to you. It's not beginner polyamory. <laughs> but if you have any questions about KTP, like, please email me. Please tweet me. Um, if you'd like to speak to Hunter, email me and I can speak to Hunter and see if Hunter is willing to speak to you too. Um, I'm sure they will be because they do a lot of great activism stuff. They may not speak to you one-on-one, but I can probably get you in touch. I have connections. Um, if you do want to email me, the email is goodgollypodcast at gmail.com. There is also a Twitter, so you can at me on at good golly pod because podcast was too long um and there will be a facebook page coming soon so you know we're all about personal growth up in here so yeah thank you so much for listening uh i'll be back next week talking about i don't know what yet we'll figure it out it'll be something about polyamory because that's the point of the podcast anyway thanks for listening it's been a joy thank you again hunter and i will speak to you all next week Bye!